Hello and welcome to this edition of SSI Live. My name is John Denny and I'm a research professor of National Security Studies here at the Strategic Studies Institute, or SSI, at the U.S. Army War College. It's Monday, June 26th, and today I'm joined by Colonel Esley Pitts, a resident student here at the Army War College. Esley and a small group of his peers have just completed a major research study here at the War College under the direction of my SSI colleague, Dr. Tony Echeverria, on whether the U.S. Army is prepared for a great power war. Now, specifically, this research team has spent the last nine months examining issues surrounding the expansibility of the U.S. Army in the event of a great power war involving the United States. Now, this is the latest in a series of podcasts, as our listeners know, on this interdisciplinary student-faculty research team led by Dr. Echeverria. Now, Esley's part of the project focused specifically on how the Army would go about expanding the number of brigade combat teams, or BCTs, that's an acronym you hear frequently in this podcast, if the Army needed to expand itself for a great power war. And so I've asked Esley to join us today to discuss that. Esley, welcome. Good morning, John. Now, Esley, let me first ask you to describe a little bit more detail, in a little bit more detail, your topic for us and how it fit into the broader study that the team undertook. You may know the Army fights as brigade combat teams with the significant reorganization that we've made, shifting the focus from divisions to brigade level. And currently the Army has 57 brigade combat teams in its force structure. Uh, We looked at doubling the Army, and my part of that was doubling brigade combat teams. So we didn't look at a specific war scenario or anything else. We just focused on expansibility and and used the number of doubling to do so. So for me, that was go from 57 to 114. And we kept the same force ratio. So, for example, uh, currently 15 armored brigade combat teams in the force structure. So for me, that was a doubling to 30. And to be more specific in there, I looked at uh, not the not every element of the brigade combat team, each of which conclu- uh, has about 4,200 soldiers in it. But what, what I looked at was doubling of the infantry, armor, and reconnaissance organizations in it, and figuring that would be a problem set for the Maneuver Center of Excellence, and that other elements of the BCT would also be going through uh, similar sorts of growth considerations at their own training centers. So uh, those infantry armor and uh, cavalrymen account for about 35% of an armored brigade combat team's force structure. And the, where I looked at was some historical, historical examples. I looked at uh, the size of the Army's generating force and its capability to support growth. Esley, let me just clarify. When you say 57 BCTs, that's across both the active and the reserve component. Is that right? That's correct. Okay, now in terms of your research. Can you share with us some of the details? What were the major findings of your analysis on how how the Army would need to go about this? Well, a couple things. I looked at briefly some historical examples to inform uh, my research and proposal for current expansion. Looking first at the, uh, the model of World War II with the large-scale collective unit training and, and the brief summary of that model was a division would form with about 17 weeks of individual training followed by eight months of collective training uh, running from the squad level all the way up to core level exercises. Uh, The second area I looked at was Vietnam and a a different problem set there was rapid growth of junior officers. 
uh, with an army that was in Vietnam for a year at a time, it was it was a high consumption rate for the need for trained junior leadership. I looked at the OCS, Officer Candidate School, and also the Army's non-commissioned Officer Candidate course, and, and that's how they trained rapidly lots of sergeants, lots of lieutenants, and, and expanding BCTs would require a similar uh, model. Third, I looked at the uh, cohort, the 1980s training model of uh, cohesion, operational readiness, and training, where they trained groups through basic training together, and then they went and they met a group of, or a cadre of officers and NCOs they'd never trained with before. And uh, unfortunately, the findings there were that the basic trainees had a lot of what they called horizontal cohesion, but not much vertical cohesion. That is, the trainees had a hard time integrating with leaders they'd never worked with before. And fourth, I looked at the Army's growth during the war in Iraq, and where in 2006 we started building a couple extra BCTs, and they found that it took about 30 months to generate a, a single new BCT. And what I found, that being the historical background, to me there's two real limiting factors that would prevent growth of the Army in BCTs right now. The good news is that we can have a fair amount of throughput at the Maneuver Center of Excellence. Fort Benning can train all the soldiers we need and do it pretty rapidly. But the limiting factors are uh, the generating force. That's the group of experienced officers and NCOs that would really form the cadre for all these new BCTs. Um, you can fill it with brand new privates easily by generating a, a whole cadre of trained sergeants first class and captains becomes much more difficult and a generating force for us even as recently as about 2002 it was a, about 109,000 soldiers but between drawdowns and growth in support of Iraq that generating force has cut down to about 87,000 soldiers now and what I found was that the, the infantry, armor and cavalry, NCO and officer leadership needed to build those 57 new brigade combat teams would consume uh, more than 20% of the generating force just in filling that cadre. Now, remember that generating force is also the organization that trains those new brigade combat teams. So you're asking the same organization to strip itself, tear itself apart to build new units and also train those new units. And suddenly we f will find pretty rapidly that we don't have enough people to do both. So... The, the impact on new BCT growth would be that we would only be able to build BCT sequentially, not simultaneously, as we want to avoid the effects of tearing BCTs apart to strip cadre out of them and continue to train new ones. We just can't do it all at the same time. The second limiting factor is, is equipment sets. You know, this stuff is to put it bluntly, very expensive, and we the Army owns what it needs in terms of equipment for the existing brigade combat teams. We also have a couple extra sets for pre-positioned forward-deployed equipment that soldiers can fall in on, but by no means do we have sufficient equipment to fill out 57 extra brigades, and that stuff would all have to be built, and industrial capacity and expenses combined would result in sequential building of that equipment. Now, we do have a lot of M1s in storage right now that would just have to be refurbished or uh, rebuilt to new current standards for M1s, but that's a lengthy process, and uh, most of the Bradleys, for example, in our force would have to be built as new construction. 
You know, actually, this is really interesting analysis. It strikes me that the Army went through similar challenges, not to the same scope, obviously, but similar challenges even during the Iraq War when we uh, saw reports of generating force elements uh, being used to man units that were being sent downrange. What do you think the recommendations should be to the Army or to the Department of Defense to try to overcome these challenges, both in terms of the generating force as well as the necessary equipment that we would require for this growth in BCTs? Well, the uh, the biggest recommendation for me, and I think it's not likely that the Army will decide soon to, to double, but they should establish some uh, even congressionally mandated expansibility goals, whether that's five BCTs, 10 BCTs, whatever that number is, they should be compelled, if nothing else, to uh, document that plan. And the Army's plan for force structure is called the Total Army Analysis, and that's the piece of paper that says we have this many BCTs of this type and that many of that type. And I believe that they should also put on there a, a category of expansible brigade combat teams and then what they would have to do is document the manning and equipping solutions to support expansibility. So if you put 10 expansible BCTs on the total army analysis plan, then show me the money, as they would say in the movies, on that on the manning and equipping solutions for it. So the generating force, for example, if the expansible goal is 10 BCTs and, and the analysis shows that the generating force can't support that expansion, then the generating force should be required to be built up to support that expansion. And that should go to the degree of everybody that's assigned to the generating force should understand that they are assigned to an expansible brigade and they should know the billet they're assigned to. So if you're a major in the generating force, you know that you're tasked to be an S3 or an XO in, a, in an expansible brigade combat team. And second area I would recommend is there we currently have six combined arms training brigades. These are the uh, the active component cadre brigades that provide training to the National Guard. Well, if, if we reach a point in mobilization where we've mobilized the National Guard, those combined arms training brigades suddenly become a, an expansible brigade cadre. And that's these combined arms training brigades have everything they need to fill out a company and above a rudimentary battalion and brigade staff and a lot of the leadership. So they should be tasked with that mission and know that a secondary mission after National Guard mobilization is to become an expansible brigade cadre. And we also have our building right now, six security force assistance brigades, and we could give the same mission to them that if they are not tasked with security force assistance mission and we're in a great power war, they could be tasked as expansible brigade cadre. Beyond that, there's probably some congressionally mandated requirements as far as recall of uh, soldiers to active duty. For example, we have a program where we can bring retirees back on active duty, and we have a program where a soldier serves for eight years, whether that's four years in the active component and four years in the ready reserve. But there's a significant gap between those soldiers who do eight years and those soldiers who do 20 years, and that's the very problem area that we talk about that the generating force has to be able to fail is those soldiers with leadership experience and training experience beyond that rifleman who did four years and got out, for example. And the other problem is is that equipment set shortage. Just like building 57 sets of soldiers in the generating force, I don't think the Army is going to build 57 equipment sets but they should have a goal and they should be able to show the uh, equipping solutions to support that total army analysis goal. Well, Esley, these recommendations make great sense to try to address the challenges you've identified. 
Colonel Leslie Pitts, one of the research and writing team members on the forthcoming War College study in Great Power War. Thank you so much for joining us today and sharing with us your analysis and these recommendations. My pleasure, John. Listeners, if you'd like to read the study on Great Power War, keep your eyes on the SSI website. That's ssi.armywarcollege.edu, where it'll be published this month and available to download for free. You can now find SSI Live on TuneIn Radio and on popular podcast directories like Stitcher and at the iTunes Store. If you have any comments on our podcasts, thoughts on what you'd like to see addressed, or a response to something you heard here at SSI Live, please go to our website. Again, that's ssi.armywarcollege.edu. Find me, John Denny, in the staff directory, and send me an email. I look forward to hearing from you. For the SSI Live podcast series, I'm John Denny. Thanks for listening.